This is Public Health Speaks. I'm Robert Jennings. On this episode, as our nation starts to see a significant downward trend in COVID-19 infections and a reopening of our social and economic way of life, public health communication experts are now beginning to assess the effectiveness of our current crisis and risk communication messaging efforts. When we have been successful and we have seen success, it's because people are being transparent, they're acknowledging uncertainty, they're sharing dilemmas, they're reaching out to communities. So I think a lot of the things that are at the foundation of risk communications, probably even crisis communications, still matter and matter a lot. Welcome to Public Health Speaks, a podcast series brought to you by the National Public Health Information Coalition. With each episode, we explore the successes and challenges in public health messaging and ways to tackle the most pressing communication issues facing our communities. In this first of a two-part episode, we stop to take a look at how well the nation's COVID-19 health messaging is being received by the public and delve into some of the barriers and opportunities to building and maintaining public trust. We will also discuss how data is now being used in real time by public health communication professionals to better reach and connect with specific target audiences. And finally, we will examine how well the crisis and emergency risk communication principles held up under the intense pressures of the COVID-19 response. Joining me today is Glenn Nowak, a professor of advertising and public relations and director of the Grady College's Center for Health and Risk Communication at the University of Georgia. Professor Nowak is the perfect guest to have with us to address today's topic, as he not only brings a vast academic background, but also a wealth of knowledge and experience in communications and media relations from his long tenure at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Welcome, Glenn, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Well, let's jump right into it. For more than a year, public health communicators have been on the front lines of our nation's response to COVID-19. You have had a long career in practicing risk communication. What would you say has been a bright spot in our nation's public health communication efforts? And where have there been some challenges? I think one of the bright spots is there's been a recognition that when it comes to something like a pandemic, you have to do a lot of communications. It seems obvious, but if you go back 10, 15 years, I think there was always a sense that if there was an infectious disease outbreak or a pandemic, it could be pretty easily managed on a communications front. It wouldn't involve a lot of commitment, time, and resources. And so I think one of the biggest things that we have seen is that public health has recognized that doing communications well takes time. It takes resources. You are going to be in the news not only weekly, but probably many times a day, and you have to be accessible. The flip side of that is that's one of the biggest challenges, is that you are involved in communicating about the pandemic 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it is rare that you have those kinds of resources. I think the other thing that, that this pandemic has highlighted that has always been there is that there's a lot of attention placed on messages and communications. But to the extent that messages and communications are going to be very good, you also need the guidance and the policies to be well thought out, well articulated, and to be able to answer the questions that people have. 
Well, thank you for that. Have public health agencies lost a significant amount of trust during the COVID-19 pandemic? And what would be some concrete steps you could take or to build some of that trust back? Well, building trust is both a matter of communications, but also actions. People want to see that you've heard them and that you're listening to them. So I think you know, one of the first things that public health has to do is, is look at what are some of the actions and steps that we took that really hurt us when it came to establishing and maintaining trust? And what would we do differently and better going forward? Transparency is another key element of building trust. You know, recently the CDC changed its position on face coverings for people who are vaccinated. There's a lot of people who said that, you know, while they may have supported that recommendation, they were taken by surprise. So inviting other people to weigh in on the possibilities that you're considering can go a long way toward building trust. So this is the first pandemic of its kind in the age of social media and global connectedness. In your opinion, how do we adapt our risk communication principles to a transformed environment? Well, with social media, social media is really difficult because, one, we use that term social media as if it's one or two major platforms, when in fact it's, it's really dozens of platforms, each of which can do different things. So one thing that public health has to be able to do is, is understand, when we say social media, what do we mean by social media? What platforms are we going to have to learn how to use and learn how to use well? It also means that we have to be ready to have our messages appear in multiple places over extended periods of time. And I think that that is sort of a paradigm change for public health. We often like to believe that we put our messages out there once or twice, and then they persist in the environment. And what social media has taught us is that, no, we have to be out there constantly putting forward our positions, our messages, the basis for our recommendations. Because if we don't, People are going to soon forget about them and, and they're going to be displaced. We also have to monitor the social media world to find out you know, what are the most common pieces of misinformation and disinformation that are being shared, and then think about how can we best refute and address those. It's going to be difficult, and it is difficult for government agencies to insert themselves into social media platforms, particularly if they're closed networks. And I think we're going to have to figure out you know, if there are people getting information on closed networks, what other networks can we use to get information out that is going to be uh, more helpful? Well, you touched on it, but since most of our members and our listeners are working in government communication offices or in government organizations, is government nimble enough to effectively operate in this new information age? where misinformation and disinformation is so prevalent? And how do you think they need to transform to meet these threats? I think one of the things when we look back and try to figure out what are the lessons learned from this pandemic is, is exactly that. How can government agencies be more nimble? And what would it take for them to be able to be more nimble when it comes to responding to questions, claims, assertions, misinformation. There's a, there's a wide range of things that prompt the need for a communications response. There's also a wide range of platforms and where you can put those messages. So I think when we start thinking about how do we improve going forward, it's going to be what are the resources, what are the protocols, what are the systems that public health needs to be able to be successful in this communications environment where people have a lot of different places that they can turn to for information. So at your university's Center for Health and Risk Communication, 
Has there been a change to what students are now being taught in the wake of this pandemic? Well, there's been a a number of things that I, I know I have done as a result. One is that I have found that I now teach drawing much, much more upon what is happening in the moment that a lot of the examples, a lot of the lessons learned are drawn from what is currently going on in the world of public health. And I think it makes it more interesting, more relevant for the students. I think the other thing I've noticed is that a lot of the theories that we have, whether they're risk communications theories, crisis communications theories, we probably need to update them. And we probably also need to recognize that when it comes to things like infectious disease pandemics, these simplistic notions that you have a single message or you have a single voice need to be revisited. Because I think one of the things that this pandemic has shown is that you're going to have to have messages for possibly years if the pandemic is going to persist and evolve and change and different things are going to become relevant, such as vaccines at different moments in time. You're also going to need multiple voices and different voices talking to different communities and different players. And I think, you know, right now, if you look at a lot of the textbooks and a lot of the risk communications, health communications theories, you see it makes it look like it's really very simple. You set a couple of communications objectives, you develop a handful of key messages, you teach, you know, one person to be your primary spokesperson, and you go forward. And so I think we have to recognize that we have to be smarter and more sophisticated Now, the one thing I also did notice on the flip side of that is that a lot of our risk communications principles have stood up pretty well. When we have been successful and we have seen success, it's because people are being transparent. They're acknowledging uncertainty. They're sharing dilemmas. They're reaching out to communities. So I think a lot of the things that are at the foundation of risk communications, probably even crisis communications, still matter and matter a lot. Can you share with our listeners how data is now being used in real time by public health communication professionals to better connect with specific target audiences? Well, I think one of the things that has happened with this pandemic is there's been a recognition that if you're going to use data, whether it's interviews from people who are in your target audience or survey data, you have to be in the field quickly. You have to be able to turn that information into insights pretty much overnight. And you're going to have to continually do it. And so I think what you've seen is that there's been a lot of recognition that you need to talk to people in the targeted audiences. You need to talk to people in the public. I saw a study that was published a couple months ago in the New England Journal of Medicine that was basically a look at many surveys that had been published. I think it was like 40 surveys had been published over the span of 10 months. That is astonishing at the speed at which that amount of information was collected. And that's what we need to be able to get to do is look at that data and find out what are the different groups that are out there, how many people are already on board with us, and those people who aren't on board, what do they believe and where are they getting their information? And so data is really essential. It's essential we get it quickly so that we can use it quickly. And so finally, I I just want to ask you for our listeners out there that would just want to glean from your many years of experience in risk communication, what advice would you give them at this point in the pandemic to help them move forward and to help them in their professional development in the future? I guess a couple of things. One is what this is highlighted is it's really important that you have a strong network and you know how to reach experts whether they're experts in infectious diseases or experts in working with communities or experts in working 
doing risk or health communication. So I think that is one thing that's really essential is you're going to have to work with other people. And the faster you can find those people and establish relationships with them, that's going to be really critical. I think secondly, recognizing that you have to be nimble. You have to be quick. We all would like to probably have more time to think and do and write. And what you do is you have to become really effective with short deadlines, with recognizing that it's going to have to be not perfect. You're striving for good and very good rather than perfect. You just don't have the time to do perfect. To be realistic in terms of your expectations, I think that's the other thing, is that it's easy to think that this should be easy. It's easy to think that if I could just find the right message, things will go a lot better with the people who don't agree with me. But I think it's really getting comfortable with the fact that it takes patience, it takes persistence, and you have to learn how to personalize messages and tailor messages to different groups and different people. That's great advice for all of us public health communicators, especially those that are questioning well how well they've done and they have done well. And this is just some nuggets of information that can help them moving forward. So thank you, Professor Nowak, for joining us today on Public Health Speaks. You're very welcome. Thanks for listening to Public Health Speaks. Please join us next time as we conclude this two-part episode with a closer perspective from a frontline public health communicator. If you like the show, please share it with your colleagues. And if you have comments or questions, we'd like to hear from you. Email us at info at nific.org. That's info at nphic.org. This show is a production of the National Public Health Information Coalition. For Public Health Speaks, I'm Robert Jennings. Stay safe and be healthy.